Coming up on Abounding Grace. Not everything that happens to us is going to taste good. Some things are going to be very sour and very bitter. Some things are going to happen in our lives that are going to be very unwanted, very unpleasant. But when God works it all together in the right quantities and the right amounts and the right mixing and the right heat, what well, always turns out for His good. It always turns out for your good. And it always turns out for His glory. And it always turns out for your glorying in a great and awesome God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We come to a very comforting and encouraging verse today on Abounding Grace, Romans 8:28. It makes it clear that believers are in the hands of God, who in His remarkable providence works all things together for good. We'll learn today that a proper understanding of the truth contained in this verse will help us avoid bitterness and anger, even when the doctor says you have an incurable disease or you have a flat tire on the side of the road. Pastor Ed Taylor is here now with his message, Yes, God is working even in that. God has a plan that He's working out in your life, and all the things that are in your life that God has both allowed and sent your way, He is working together for your good and His glory. Amen. The sweet, the sour, the good, the bad, they all come to us. They come to all of us. And because God loves us, he's working them all together. I mean, which one of us are really interested in the raw eggs of life? Now, you might have been interested in raw eggs when you were a kid working out. But that's crazy eating raw eggs, man. That's just, that doesn't, ugh, yuck. And some of us kind of stop short too, huh? Because I'm making a cake. Before it ever gets in the oven, man, I'm eating it. I'm getting a finger or two fingers. I'm taking the beaters. Hey, learn. here's a lesson. You want to know a lesson? Before you lick the beaters, take them out of the mixer. It hurts. Don't let your kids eat them in the mixer either, because that's a, that's a sibling deal happening right there. Oh, look, Johnny's got... Ah! No, you don't want to go there. But see, the cake isn't done yet, is it? It needs some heat. It needs some time to cook, to form, to come together. And then when it's done, it needs some icing. I'm one of those guys, three parts icing, one part cake. That's what I like. I mean, just, just, man, sugar and sugar and sugar is good. But life's not all sugar. You know, when I read Romans 8.28, I probably read it like you do sometimes. And I'll come to Romans 8.28 in a difficult time in my life, as I have many. And it says... And we know that all things work together. Sometimes I'll read it, and we know that most things work together, which is not what it says. At other times, we'll come to Romans 28, and we'll come and read it, and we'll go, well, some things work together, not this one. No way. Can't have this. I don't understand this at all. There's no way this could be working for my good. But, you know, the word is all. 
And some of you might be challenged today. You go, well, I'm going to go home and look it up in the Greek. Because it might say most and it might make some, say some. And I'd say, look it up in the Greek. Look it up in your dictionary. You know what you'll find? In the New Testament, when the word all is used, you know what it means? All. And when you look it up in your concordance, that'll be confirmed. All means all. It's not most, it's not some, it's all. And so we search high and low for examples in our lives. We have some contemporary examples of, I know many stories in this room today, uh, of things that you have gone through, diagnoses you have faced, situations that you have come through, and you look back and you go, oh yes, God used it, even though at the time I couldn't see how possibly he could use this. And then we go through the scriptures and we go, well, is there any example of this? I mean, anybody living out this truth? Has God given us any truth in his word that shows us ideally what this looks like? You know, you will find a lot of people, but the one that comes to mind immediately is a guy in the Old Testament. His name, Joseph. Joseph. He understands this truth so well. His life speaks to us of a testimony of God working all things together for the good. I encourage you, read the story of Joseph. You can just jot it down. Genesis chapter 37 through the end of Genesis highlights Joseph's life. He starts out so well, beloved of his father, so well beloved that his father gives him this special coat of many colors. It engenders in his brothers, though, this jealousy. And they decide, you know, we're done with Job. We, we don't want, that, that guy, dad loves him too much. And they concoct a plan to get rid of Joe. They go and throw him in a pit, put some blood on his garment, brings it back to dad and say, sorry, your son's gone. And just absolutely throw dad into a sorrowful time. But then their conscience starts to get to them and they decide, you know, we can't leave him in that pit. I think we'll sell him to slave traders. And that's what they do. And that's the way Joseph's life begins. Starts with love, now he's thrown in a pit, then he goes off with slave traders. Well, he ends up in a very good situation in a man by the name of Potiphar's house. He becomes a steward of all that Potiphar owns, like a manager. He gets to manage all of the goods of Potiphar, and it's just going well, it's going great, until he meets Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know her name, but Mrs. Potiphar will work. This gal, she is just wicked. And cruel. Thinking only of herself, which is always a danger for us, by the way. Thinking only for herself, she sees this young man in her home and chases after him sexually. Wants to take advantage of him. Wants to cheat on her husband by committing adultery with this young man. And Joseph resists, and Joseph resists, and Joseph resists to the point where finally she grabs his garment and he says, I can't sin against God. And he runs out without his garment on thinking, I will not sin with this woman. I am not going to hurt my God. I'm not going to hurt my master. I will not sin. Following through with what Paul told young Timothy to flee youthful lust. He fled, man. He was gone. And you would think it would be ended, right? God would honor that. Well, indeed, God does honor that. But some wild things happen to Joseph. Mrs. Potiphar accuses him of rape. And he's convicted and thrown into prison, where he wastes away and is forgotten. We know that in prison, a cupbearer and a baker come, and there's hope that maybe he'll get out. But for 13 years, 13 years, not one year, Not two years, not five years, not ten years. Thirteen years he spends time in prison for a crime he did not commit. This is a lover of God here, guys. This isn't just some guy out there. This is a lover of God. Can you imagine the struggle that might have come in his mind? Can you imagine the thoughts that he must have had or he could have had? As his brothers throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, 
Can you imagine some of the things that might have come out of his mouth sitting there in prison saying, God, is this how you treat your kids? Is this what you allow in your kid's life when they obey you and they do the right thing? Have you forgotten me? Do you even care about me? Is this my reward for faithfulness? I mean, I gave my life to you. I served my heart out for you, God. And look at me. Is this my reward? Is this what I get for staying pure? Is this what I get for obeying? The recipe for his life included many sweet things, many wonderful things. But there were also bitter things in Joseph's life, sour things, caustic things. He wasn't expecting in his life the pit. He wasn't expecting prison and loneliness and false accusations. And anywhere along the way, bitterness could have set in. We're warned in the New Testament to not allow a root of bitterness to take hold in our lives. Bitterness is horrible. Bitterness only affects you. Everyone else around you is going on with life, but bitterness is eating you up. Anger is eating you up. Frustration's eating you up. Thoughts of revenge eating you up. Bitterness is one of the worst. I I think bitterness is worse than stress on the damage that it does to a person. Joseph at any moment could have said, forget this. This is crazy. Forget it. I turn on you, God. You haven't come through for me. But never once did we read that. You know, some of the things that we suggest that could have come out of Joseph's mouth, in the scriptures we never read of that happening. But I'll tell you, everything that I read to you, I've heard come out of Christians' mouths. In my office, on the phone. Some tough time come your way. and Is this how God rewards his kids? Is this what I got when I gave my life to Jesus? Is this what I get for being pure? Forget about God. I'm done with it. My marriage is a mess. He's not coming back. Forget him. My life is all upside down. My kids don't love God. Forget this. Could it be that Jesus isn't your sufficiency? Like, do you serve God to get back from him, or do you serve him because of his great love for you? Have you surrendered to God because he's been so good to you? Or have you surrendered to God, perhaps, that these things are sorting out in your life, the reality that your motives are mixed and that you're wanting God to come through? See, he gives us salvation by grace for free, but then we have all these expectations off of God, and God says, no, no, I want you to see something. I'm faithful even when you're faithless. And he knows what we're going through. He understands it. He sees it. Because after 13 years, you know what happened with Joseph? He comes out, he interprets Pharaoh's dream, he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. He becomes second in command of all of Egypt. I mean, he's the guy, the equivalent today of being the vice president, right out of prison, right there, boom. He's right there, serving right alongside the ruler of the known world in that time. I mean, God delivered him. And anywhere along the way, bitterness could have set in. Joseph could have at any moment just said, forget this, nothing's going to ever change. Nothing will get better. I want my life back. I want my life back. I want to be back with my dad. I want to be back with my brothers. I just want my life back. I don't want the prison anymore. I don't want the accusations anymore. I don't want the pain anymore. I don't want the bitterness anymore. I don't want the sour things. But God sent Joseph to Egypt. God had a plan. Flip back with me, would you, to Genesis chapter 25. Nowhere along the way do we find Joseph saying any of those things at all. Genesis chapter 45. The path that Joseph was on was used greatly by God to get him to the place of the palace just when a major famine started to hit 
the land. And his dad was desperate for help. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is the moment of truth. Brothers are there. Joseph is there. They're face to face. Joseph cries out, everybody get out of here. And he begins to make himself known to his brothers. In verse 2, he wept aloud. You know, there's a difference between tears, crying, and weeping aloud where people can hear you through the walls. That's what's happening here. Notice, the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. This is profound emotion here as Joseph is seeing now the whole plan of God come before him. He's seeing it. It's starting to unfold. He's starting to put the pieces together. His brothers are right there in front. He hasn't seen his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. It says in verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. I bet they were dismayed. They're like, oh, man. He did it. He did it. I didn't do it, Joseph. He did it. They're bummed out. You bet. It's all catching up with them. But you see, Joseph's not the only one on stage here. God's going to use it in their life, too. He's going to put all the pieces together. And they're bummed out, for sure. It goes on to say, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. Can you see the scene there? I mean, I could see everybody pushing everybody. Go, go, go. You go, you go. I'm not going. And they're all coming there. And it says, they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And it doesn't sound like it's getting much better, is it? But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. No bitterness in his heart at all. Zero, none, zippo before his brothers. He sees them bummed out and he wants to encourage them. He wants to lift them up. He calls his brothers close. He doesn't rub it in. He, He doesn't take it and kind of use it for a while and be real dramatic. He's right to the point of expressing his love to them. He doesn't make them feel bad. He just forgives. He just extends love and forgiveness. And we have to ask ourselves, don't we? Can you have that kind of heart with people that have done those things to you? I mean, it really requires a work of God's Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And the answer is yes, we can have that kind of heart. Because God would have us to love them that hurt us and have misused us and taken advantage of us talking about us behind our backs, gossiping and slandering about us, pointing the finger at us. Can we have that kind of heart? You don't really want them to pay for it, do you? I mean, you really don't want them to feel really bad, do you? You don't want them to feel what you feel, do you? You don't want them to be so drowning in grief that they become suicidal, do you? I mean, all those things would hurt them. All those things would destroy them. All those things would would just completely... Wipe them out. Destroy their lives. Your spiritual heart of hearts and mind want them to be right with Jesus. To come clean in repentance. What was his key in not becoming bitter then? Really, where was it in Romans 8.28? God is working all things together. For all things work together for the good. For those who, by God, for those who love him. Those that are called according. How does that all work? 
How do I avoid bitterness and anger and frustration and revenge? I mean, he could have easily said, you sold me. You spent that money. You were happy when I was gone. You made our dad cry night after night after night. But he realized something. He said it three times. Did you notice? Let's go back in verse 5. Listen, this is, the, this is the place right now where you have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. This is the place where my heart is that your heart will grasp it. This is revolutionary for some of you. Some of you already understand this. You're going to get it. It's a confirmation. But some of you, this is going to blow your mind. You're going to have to go home today and wrestle with this truth because your mind is going to fight it and your mind's not going to want to receive it and you're going to try to explain it away and you're going to say, no, this couldn't be possible in my life. There's no way in the world God could be in this. But listen, Joseph is a real-life human example and he says in verse 5, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me. Verse 7, and God sent me. Verse 8, so it wasn't you who sent me here, but who? God. God is at work in your lives. He is at work in your life and mine. Joseph knew it, and I pray that we know it. God sent me. God sent me. God sent me. God is in this. And he's going to use it. Even to the point, flip over to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, is sometimes called the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Joseph understood this. He lived it. He he saw it. It was revealed before him to the point where he finally comes to the conclusion. I mean, in case there was any hesitation in anyone's life, in case there was any still lingering doubt, in case there's any battle in the room right now, in case there's anyone saying, listening in on the radio, going, no, that can't be possible. No, Ed, you don't understand. No, that verse isn't for me. Listen, listen, listen. But as for you, Joseph says, Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, and indeed that is possible in this world. People meaning evil against us, wanting to hurt us, wanting to defame us, wanting to tear us down, wanting to do horrible and ugly things to us, But listen, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. In order it is, it is to bring it about as at this day to save many people alive. There was an end result that God was after. Even as there's an end result when you're after, when you're pulling all those ingredients off the shelf, the flour, the sugar, the salt, the cream of tartar, someone's going to have to email me and tell me what that junk is. You pull all that stuff off, and you know all by itself, you're not want, you don't want just one by itself, but you know as you follow the directions piece by piece and you do what is asked of you, you see that you, in a small picture of our wonderful, gracious, awesome Heavenly Father, as you put the pieces together in your own kitchen and you mix it all together, I mean, I'm sure the mixing doesn't feel good for the dough, you know, or the batter. It's like, ouch, 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 you can't be doing that. But it's needed. You've got to mix the ingredients together. You've got to put them in the right order. God is working for an end result. In our next time together, we're going to take Romans 8.28, we're going to piece it together, we're going to look at every section of it together to see the big picture of what it really is saying. But from Joseph's life today, understand that God is at work. Not everything that happens to us is going to taste good. Some things are going to be very sour and very bitter. Some things are going to happen in our lives that are going to be very unwanted very unpleasant. But when God works it all together in the right quantities and the right amounts and the right mixing and the right heat, well, it always turns out for His good. It always turns out for your good. And it always turns out for His glory. 
And it always turns out for your glorying in a great and awesome God. Romans 8.28, if you'll turn back there with me, is meant to be a comfort and an encouragement to us, believers. It's meant to be a pillow to rest our heads on. It's meant to be a verse that, when received, draws us right back to the throne room of grace, understanding that we can rush in in our times of need. And we know that all things work together for good. Let's read that together. Let's start back at the beginning. You ready? Verse 28. And for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yes, God is at work. Yes, God cares for you. Yes, God is using it somehow. Yes, God is working even in that. And you'll see. So many of you have a testimony right now where you can look back on things in your life and you can see. God was using that. I can see it now. I didn't see it then. I didn't see it in the middle of it. I couldn't see anything but the situation. But now that I've distanced myself a few years, a few months, watch God's hand at work, I can see that, yes, God was working even in that. And that's the promise that we leave here today. God is working. And we know, don't we? We know it. That all things, not most things, not some things, are working together for good. For those that love Him, those that are called. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay, or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. Pastor Ed, as you were speaking on Romans 8.28 today, I was thinking of that blog you have at edtaylor.org. How might this and the resources you have there be of some help to those who are experiencing pain or grief? You know, Larry, that's a great question to ask. I appreciate you mentioning it because Romans 8.28 is a powerful uh, truth in God's Word, especially in times of pain and grief. And after the death of my son, Eddie, and the unfortunate circumstances surrounding uh, his death, I began to write. I secured the name edtaylor.org and with a smile on my face, I just want you to know, don't go to edtaylor.com. Don't do that. It has to be .org because a professional Santa Claus is named Ed Taylor, and he got the .com before me. So you're right. It's edtaylor.org. And I started writing, and I started writing about the three things that uh, are surrounding my life. And it used to be two things, really. Uh, I would I have the tagline, Raw Thoughts on Ministry, Life, and now grief. And I click through the grief tab to look back at some of the things that I've shared. Um, One of the titles is Nobody Told Me. Another one is Do the Next Thing. Another one is Grieving the Loss of a Child. Another one is When Things Don't Go Your Way. Another one is What Do I Do With My Thoughts of Suicide? And so I just write on these things from a biblical, grace-based perspective on who God is, and I'd encourage you to visit it and share uh, it is, uh, the, God has used the website in powerful ways to encourage and to strengthen. And I'm not the most polished writer. I'm not the most prolific writer, but these are raw thoughts. And uh, I'm sure there's even typos that I just write them out and let the Lord use them. That's edtaylor.org. And I hope uh, some of these articles encourage you. 
Again, you'll find Pastor Ed's blog at edtaylor.org. We've been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. We really do want to hear from you. And we also have a book we'd like to get into your hands that can help you become a man or woman that God uses. It was written by the late Pastor Chuck Smith. Pastor Chuck observed 14 characteristics found in many of the people God used in the past that we read about in the Scriptures. The cool thing is, if these characteristics are found in you, well, you'll become a person God uses too. Request a copy of The Man God Uses when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. We're here to serve you at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, 